0: Folks, before we jump into today's highlights, I just have to ask you, do you want to put 50 years of baseball history in your pocket? I know what you're thinking, it's not going to fit, but it really will because it's all in audio format. These are lost pieces of baseball history told to you from baseball cathedrals. They're, They're told to you by icons of the game from Red Barber, Ernie Howell, to Harry Carey. I get goosebumps personally listening to these games and even thinking about the interviews and what these players are gonna share with me. I know what you're thinking, is this AI? Are there bots? Is there some magic potion here that are making these things appear? And I'm telling you, they're not. These games are real. They were done by real people at that specific moment in time. All the iconic moments, the interviews, none of it's reproduced, none of it's AI. It's all real, but done again by real people. If you want to check them out, uh, there's a free intro offer. Jump on over to VintageBaseballReflections.com. And there's over 2,500 audio clips and games for you to put in your pocket, take on walks with you, hang around the fireplace and listen, put them on the porch, invite some friends over. However you want to listen, you're going to be able to listen in these amazing moments in baseball history. Use this coupon this day for a special gift at the checkout
1: even hundred standards Jim Pud Galvin didn't have the ideal body to be a pitcher he was short and stocky his nickname was the little steam engine and yet thanks to his blazing fastball and a mean pickoff move he managed to win 364 games in his pro career Towards the end of that career, though, in 1889, his body started to wear out. So, for a little boost, he turned to something called the elixir of brown saccade, a fancy name for testosterone taken from live animals.
2: Did that actually work? I don't think so. It was probably a placebo effect, but it certainly was testosterone.
1: Roger Abrams is a law professor at Northeastern University. He uncovered this early use of performance enhancement while researching an upcoming book on cheating in baseball. Maybe the most amazing part of the story, though, is that way back in 1889, no one seemed to have a problem with Galvin's juicing. The Washington Post lauded the elixir as a valuable discovery. In fact, Abrams says other cities wanted their players using it.
2: The press said, Gee, this brown cigar stuff looks good. I hope our local nine uses it.
1: Boy, have things changed.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Fenway Park. Mark Fidrich. Now, each time he gets the ball back, you'll see him mumble a couple of words to the ball. The first man ever to pitch five career no-hitters. Touch a ball, Joe. I don't believe what I just saw. another chance for Mitchell, and he makes a fair-handed kick. Ricky goes, a pitch that and he's going to have it. Leaps high of the air, and he's has got oh, An incredible kill by the And let it be said that number eight, Cal and Jr., has reached the unreachable star. Today, Today I, consider I consider myself, myself the luckiest, luckiest man, man on the face on of the, face of the earth. earth.
0: Now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we invite you to rise. Welcome to the Daily Rewind, brought to you by ThisDayInBaseball.com. My name's Tom Hannon and I am your super fan for baseball history bringing you this podcast. And I like to bring you the voices from the past and all the golden nuggets that you just can't get from looking at stats. And if you love baseball history, we encourage you to download our entire back catalog and listen to the stories about your favorite players in their own voices or voices from their time. Uh, Players like Smokey Joe Wood, Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson, just to name a few and me myself until I did this podcast I hadn't heard some of these voices and I think that that's one of the things that I enjoy so much about bringing you this podcast is as I'm looking through these moments in history and I get to research it and find these interviews it's I feel so honored to be bringing you this content especially if you're like me although I've been a history buff for baseball my entire life I haven't heard all these stories And to hear them, to hear them actually coming out of a player's mouth, like Smokey Joe Wood explaining Babe Ruth and why, in his opinion, Babe Ruth never actually got to manage. It's an amazing piece of history that I'm just proud to be giving you. Now today uh, is season three, and I do a season for each month. So the three stands for March, uh, and we're on episode seven, which is for March seventh. And on March seventh, in 1902, Hall of Famer James Pud Galvin dies at the age of 45. Galvin won an amazing 361 games over a 14-year career, placing him in a tie for 6th all-time on the list for most wins, and in 1883 and 1884, Galvin won a combined 92 games. If you're into the war statistics, which is wins above replacement, and not everybody is, uh, Galvin actually posted a 17-plus war in 1884, which ranks third all-time. That is just an absurd number. That means he was 17 wins above the normal pitcher. Now, uh, Galvin won't be inducted into the Hall of Fame for some reason until 1965, until writer actually took up his cause with the Veterans Committee. Galvin has another distinction of being the first player, or I should say the first known player, uh, to take performance-enhancing drugs. And he's also, as I just indicated earlier, in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now he took the famous Brown Alexa, and I have two interviews I'm going to play for you. Now, unfortunately, I don't have Pud Galvin to bring on to the show. There's just no recordings from uh, when he passed away in 1902. But I do have a clip uh, from the NPR radio show that was done in 2006 by Luke Burbank. That's a very good clip. And then I have another one uh, from Mark Martin, who was on the WHPNC show for the Nassar Community College about his book that he wrote on Pod Galvin. And interestingly, at the, at the time, it was the very first book that was written about. Pud Galvin. So I'm going to bring you these two clips, uh, these two interviews, and I'll be back on the other side to talk to you about them uh, after the interviews. I hope you enjoy them. Brian
3: Martin, the author of Pud Galvin, Baseball's First 300 Game Winner. Brian, how are you?
2: Very well, thank you very much.
3: All right. So what exactly is your book about?
2: Well, uh, my book, uh, Pud Galvin, Baseball's First 300 Game Winner sort of speaks for itself. Pud Galvin was a pitcher for uh, St. Louis, for Pittsburgh, and for Buffalo, and he's the first uh, pitcher to reach 300 wins and he went on to, to uh, pitch uh, 305, so he's the, winning, the fifth winningest pitcher of all time, um, uh, 365, I'm sorry, uh, wins altogether, so he's the fifth winningest pitcher of all time, and he's also the first, uh, the first player that we know of that ever experimented with performance-enhancing drugs. He took a testosterone concoction in 1888.
3: Okay, what would you say to people who never heard of Galvin?
2: Well, I'm not surprised. He was uh, sort of a forgotten man in baseball for uh, decades. Uh, He died in poverty after making an awful lot of money uh, Mm. in the 1870s and the 80s and up to 1892 when he quit pitching. He made an awful lot of money, um, was one of the best paid players in the game. However, he didn't manage it very well. He was a party animal and even though he had a large family, he died in poverty in 1902, and his friends had to raise money and, and put a very modest headstone. He's buried in a pauper's grave in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and I'm not surprised a lot of people haven't heard of him, because he was forgotten as a pitcher from the uh, uh, 19th century, as the 20th century rolled on, and we had Christy Matthewson and we had uh, Cy Young, and we had Babe Ruth, and we had all these modern stars of the game. He was sort of forgotten as yesterday's man. Well after sixty years a researcher in buffalo new york uh... decided that my goodness he's sort of been forgotten he's our first superstar in buffalo and he uh... uncovered his uh, records and uh, uh... his career uh... at least in the buffalo part of it but went on to include pittsburgh and he argued that this was a forgotten man and he should be in the baseball hall of fame so in nineteen sixty five sixty three years after he passed away uh, Pud Galvin was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, um, and uh, he, there, there he is. However, in more recent times, when the testosterone and the performance-enhancing drugs controversy came up, people were saying, well, look, we now know that uh, he was taking testosterone back in the uh, 1800s, um, and yet he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So people like Sammy Sosa, Rafael Primero... Um, Barry um, Barry Bonds, uh, Sammy Sosa, uh, a lot of those players, Roger Clemens, a lot of their supporters said, well, you've said that these guys can't get into the Baseball Hall of Fame because they cheated, they took performance-enhancing drugs, but look at Pud Galvin, he's there. So he was forgotten for 60 years and then put in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and then he was forgotten for about another 50 years when the controversy about testosterone came up.
1: All right, so uh, can you take us through a typical day from when you were writing this book?
2: Oh well, my typical day involves in the morning I would be going over material I had written the previous day um, and uh, making sure that it seemed to make some sense. Uh, and then as the day would wear on, I'd start researching uh, through uh, newspaper microfilm files that are increasingly more available online. And I would uh, work uh, away at uh, advancing his story, looking in the Pittsburgh papers, looking in the New York Clipper, looking in other. Sporting News, Sporting Life, uh, those sorts of publications, uh, to see what they had to say about him. And I was able to sort of uh, trace his career through box scores and through stories. Um, and he was, uh, he was uh, one of the very first to pitch a perfect game as well. So I found all sorts of interesting material in there. And uh, he, was, uh, he played uh, at a time when the game was still being revised. Uh, he, his last year of playing was 1892, and they didn't bring in the 60-foot, 6-inch pitching distance until 1894. Until 1884, uh, he was able to pitch, as all pitchers had to, pitch underhand. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, he never pitched overhand until the the, the following year. Uh, interestingly enough, he would pitch both ends of a doubleheader, uh, and he would pitch forever. And uh, the uh, thinking being is that pitching underhand is much easier on your arm, so you can do that. Um, and, in fact, in a tournament in Michigan, early in his career, he pitched a... Uh, um, a shutout, and then he followed that with a perfect game on the same day. Uh, he was an iron man. He was a little guy. He didn't have much of a curve ball He was about five foot eight and uh, well over two hundred pounds. Um, and uh, uh, he he was he he'd huff and puff as he ran around the bases, and they called him uh, they called him uh, the little steam engine or uh, <laughs> a Pud Galvin. The, the name he got Pud was from pudding because he would uh, they said he would turn opposing batters into pudding because he had such a good fastball.
3: <laughs> wow. Okay, so where does Galvin rank on your list of best players in baseball history, then?
2: Oh, my goodness. Uh, certainly up there. Um, I like the fact that he was forgotten, and I, I was the first person to do a book about Pud Galvin uh, and uh, brought his, his career to light. And as a result of my book, you should know that the Society for American Baseball Research, partly as a result of my book, the Society for American Baseball Research, which has a fund to put markers at the graves of forgotten baseball stars, um, is, is has ordered and is erecting a monument at his grave in Pittsburgh, which we are going to be unveiling uh, a little later this year, uh, I think in the fall. Um, that's really nice. And because nice. of these, uh, the grave marker that's at his grave, is just basically uh, about three foot long by about six inches wide, and just has J.F. Galvin and no no notation um, of his fame in baseball. And if you go to the cemetery, you're hard pressed to even find. So we're trying to address that because this is one of the early pioneer stars of the game.
3: That's a classy move. That's a really classy move. I think
2: yeah, the Society. I think he's going to be the second or third uh, baseball player that they have said we need a better marker at his grave, and I've I've done some research on some other early stars of the game, and some of them are in unmarked graves entirely. So this uh, Graves Marker Project by the Society for American Baseball Research is trying to address the wrong and remember the forgotten players.
3: Talking to Brian Martin, the author of Pud Galvin, baseball's first 300 game winner. Now seeing as though Galvin's a Hall of Famer, and he took PEDs. What are your thoughts on people who say that baseball players who use PEDs shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame?
2: Okay, that's an excellent question. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I, I think they cheat, but it's been re- argued that, you know, baseball is full of a lot of cheating. Stolen bases, stolen signs, uh, uh, spitballs, uh, uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, things that in, uh, in, um, in, in normal life would be penalized. Uh, however, the interesting postscript with Pud Galvin is he took something called the elixir of life, which was a testosterone concoction based on dog and guinea pig testes, and had it injected into. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Can we say that? <laughs> yeah. And it, it was at the tail end of his career, and all of a sudden he played like a young man possessed, and he played the best game of his life. The New York Times said after he he was injected with this, wow. and. Uh, Uh, He played very well for a couple of more weeks. Well, the postscript to this story is that just a couple of years ago, some researchers in Australia, the Australian Institute for Medicine, I think it was, discovered, uh, found the the recipe of the elixir of life, which was like a a hula hoop of medicine that around the states and Canada, back when Galvin took it, there were something like 12 or 20,000 doses that were administered because it was like the fountain of youth, and everybody wants to find a fountain of youth. Well, uh, these Australian researchers got the the, uh, concoction, they got the uh, uh, recipe for it, and they reproduced it, and they looked at it under modern, Mm. you know, analysis and had a look-see at it, and they they discovered there was nothing in it that would give any biological effect. The amount of testosterone was so minute, it was four times less than would be required to have any sort of impact on him. So, the bottom line, it was all in his head. Okay. Well, keeping so, with that train of thought, because we're not questioning Galma's numbers, because he has some great numbers,
3: but his use of PEDs—do you think that diminishes his legacy?
2: No, because it was all in his head. He he tried something that had no biological impact. He he took a he took an injection. He felt better. He thought he could play better, so he did. What he took was of no value whatsoever. Uh, unlike uh, the steroids and some of the things modern-day players have taken. Okay. So, I think his place in the Hall of Fame is secure even though I I believe that those who cheat, like Roger Clemens and and the like, shouldn't be in. However, uh, a lot of the baseball historians and writers are starting to soften on that, and uh, I think at some point some of these players that uh, did take performance-enhancing drugs may be inducted in the Hall after all.
1: All right. So if you had to choose one, what would you say your favorite Galvin fact is?
2: My favorite Galvin? Fact. Fact?
1: Yeah, like just about him. There are a bunch to pick from, I
3: know. Can you pick one in particular?
2: <sighs> There's so many. It's, a rich, it's such a rich story. Um, one, of the, one of the things that is sort of sad, at the tail end of his career, he was sent back to his hometown of, uh, of St. Louis, and he didn't really want to go. And they said, well, if you don't go, you don't get paid. Well, he never had much money. He had a large family, and he'd been in Pittsburgh for a number of years, and he really didn't want to go. So he goes to uh, Chris Vondera, uh, uh, hey or Chris Vondera, um, who was the owner of the St. Louis Browns purchased him and said, "You have to report well, after hemming and hawing a little bit, Galvin decided he 'd go back to St Louis, his hometown, which he didn 't really want to go to and He had just arrived in St Louis, and his son back home fell into a a, a vat of boiling salt it was at a salt Whoa. plant oh, and crazy. was in critical condition and died. Well, Jeez. Galvin raced back home. He just barely landed in St. Louis, and he, he races back home. His son dies, and they have to have a funeral for his son. He had six children altogether originally and had a funeral for that. And Galvin uh, got really upset when he went back to St. Louis uh, after the funeral, and uh, Vondre had docked his pay. And uh, oh, no, no heart for him and no uh, compassion for uh, Galvin's family issues. Wouldn't pay him because he wasn't there. And then just a, a few weeks later, uh, he fired him finally, and that was the end of his career. So he sort of ended on a sort of a sad note in a career. But he was a hail fellow well met and uh, was quite well liked by his fellow players. And uh, he went on to try to operate some bars in uh, Pittsburgh after he died. He wasn't much of a businessman and uh, despite a large family and the needs of a large family he died really in in poverty so it's sort of a sad ending to a a wonderful career by a a very interesting guy who was sort of forgotten by the baseball establishment for decades
3: yeah that's not even fair to him at that point but no. uh how long did it take you to write this book
2: oh a little over a year uh the research uh the research uh takes a while but now that uh, you can access online newspaper uh, archives uh, f- from home computers and don't have to go to libraries as much. I did make trips to Buffalo and to Pittsburgh in the course of my research, and uh, uh, a researcher down at the Heinz History Center in Pittsburgh was wonderful in terms of helping me, because he realized that Gal- Galvin had been the forgotten man, too, and he'd started started putting some materials together, which he kindly shared with me. So that was great. So um, about a year and a bit, uh, and then it takes about six, eight months before the book is released. So the whole process from beginning to end was about a year and
3: a half talking to brian martin the author of pud galvin baseball's first 300 game winner and brian i'll get you out on this what was the toughest part of writing this book
2: oh lord <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh...
2: Same there's age. always challenges everywhere you turn around every time you turn there's there's something that crops up um, I think the hardest part was when I wanted to get certain newspaper articles uh, and 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 for some anecdotes about him. That when I went turned to 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 look for them, it took an awful lot of, an awful lot of searching and an awful lot of extra time. I'm like a I'm a retired uh, newspaperman. So I'm a bit like a, a dog with a pork chop when I'm after something. So um, <laughs> it would be a matter of just digging in and finding another way and spending the time and taking the time to do it because I just felt he was a guy that uh, had been forgotten for too long and I wanted to salute his career.
3: All right, Brian. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much. And I, pr- I appreciate
2: the interest in Pub Galvin.
3: <laughs> all, right, <laughs> yes, all right. thank you. Take thank care. You.
2: Right. Uh,
3: All right, that's
2: the unique circumstances surrounding Balco and the evidence revealed in a recently published book have convinced me that Major League Baseball must undertake an investigation of the allegations that players have used illegal performance enhancing substances.
1: Even hundred standards, Jim Pud Galvin didn't have the ideal body to be a pitcher. He was short and stocky. His nickname was the Little Steam Engine. And yet, thanks to his blazing fastball and a mean pickoff move, he managed to win 364 games in his pro career. Towards the end of that career, though, in 1889, his body started to wear out. So, for a little boost, he turned to something called the Elixir of Brown Sicard, a fancy name for testosterone taken from live animals.
2: Did that actually work? I don't think so. It was probably a placebo effect, but it certainly was testosterone.
1: Roger Abrams is a law professor at Northeastern University. He uncovered this early use of performance enhancement while researching an upcoming book on cheating in baseball. Maybe the most amazing part of the story, though, is that way back in 1889, no one seemed to have a problem with Galvin's juicing. The Washington Post lauded the elixir as a valuable discovery. In fact, Abrams says other cities wanted their players using it. The press said,
0: Gee, this brown cigar stuff looks good. I hope our local nine uses it.
1: Boy, have things changed.
0: I hope you enjoyed those interviews. Uh, you know, the Pud Galvin story is just so interesting uh, to hear To hear the author talk about him and how his perception was. Um, and at this point in time, uh, the thing, because performance and drugs just seems to be such a hot topic in current day baseball, uh, no matter what your stance on Peds is, I think there's one truth that players will do whatever they feel justified to keep performing once the music stops and what I mean by once the music stops is once their ability uh, is starting to diminish uh, they're gonna do anything to keep that ability at the highest level possible I mean whether it was 1889 or 2019 uh, although the drugs in their effects may have changed uh, the intent was the same that the fact is it they're losing their ability, and they want to do anything they can to keep playing at the highest level possible. And I don't think that's changed over the years. And another thing that really interests me about listening to those interviews is how accepting the press was. Basically, they're saying they hope that other players follow Gavin, Galvin. And I think, um, secretly, I, I wonder if other people don't feel that way in today's world. They they want the player to play as good as possible for as long as possible. Not that I'm for... Um, not that I'm for them or against them or anything along those lines, but uh, you know, I'd be curious to hear what the what, what your feedback is as a fan and how you feel about it. Now, if you're following the show, you know that we're playing a lot of old clips here, and we are looking for more. So if you have old player interviews, stories, game audio, we'd love to hear them, and we'd love to feature them on the show. And you can reach me directly at uh, tbinbb at gmail.com, and I'd love to hear those shows. Now, uh, just reiterating uh, where these clips came from, they came from the NPR radio show done in 2006 by Luke Burbank, and then the Mark Martin uh, interview was from the Nassau Community College, and it was about his book on Pud Galvin, and I have links to both shows in the show notes, so you can check those out if you'd like. Now, and if you enjoyed the show, uh, the one thing you can do to help us is share the show, play it forward, tell a friend, and subscribe to the show on whatever podcaster you use and just you know the number one way that we grow is by sharing the show and letting people know by word of mouth that you're enjoying the content and that this is a a great place for you to get old time baseball content now Galvin uh, alone has dozens more articles on thisdayinbaseball.com you can go directly to his site uh, thisdayinbaseball.com slash or you can just go to the site thisdayinbaseball.com and search Pud Galvin in the search bar, and you're just going to see all these uh, incredible articles related to Pud Galvin and his career. And I, again, I just want to thank you for joining us today. And until next time, my name's Tom Hannon, and I hope to see you at the ballpark. Peace.